How's it going, New Hope? Uh, Anne Lamont, who is uh, a favorite author of mine, she says almost everything will work better if you unplug it for a few minutes, even you. I will uh, sometimes grapple with technological devices that aren't working correctly, and uh, I get frustrated. Sometimes when I get very impatient, I'll call the tech helpline. Invariably, they almost always, the first thing, I bet you can guess the first thing they say to me, they say, sir, did you unplug it? I think it's just like right there on a card for all these tech help folks. Ask them if they unplugged it. And normally, if you unplug it or power down, and you power back up, often it fixes it. it. It operates the way that it should operate. Sometimes when I'm working on my laptop, I get that dreaded spinning uh, wheel of death, I call it, where your computer is locked up. I'm sure that you've been there. And I just start punching keys, which never helps. Nothing helps with it. Sometimes if you wait it out, it fixes itself, but often it just keeps spinning. The only thing that I found to do to circumvent it is to hold down the power button until kind of emergency shuts down the entire system. Then when you power back up, there's no spinning wheel of death. That's kind of how my heart feels right now, to be completely honest with you. We were on a family vacation a few weeks ago, and I had a couple days that I was kind of a jerk to my family. You probably don't want to hear that about your pastor. My family saying, amen. I was talking to my spiritual director about it and saying, hey, I didn't like what was happening in me, and I was short with my family and anger and those kind of things. And we talked about it for a while, and we kind of discovered that my tanks, my my internal tanks, my heart tanks were, were perilously close to being empty. And so I was kind of operating out of out of nothingness. I was I was uh feeling the the lack of the, the normal things I resource to be patient and loving and kind and and, and, and all of those things. It uh, I, I doubt that that I'm alone in that. Um, the amount of anxiety and depression that's on the rise, if you read different reports and, and news articles, is simply staggering. So this series that we're launching today is for people like me. Maybe people like you as well. We're calling it The Way Forward, Following Jesus in a Chaotic World. Our creative team talked a good bit about trying to come up with a word to describe our present world, and we landed on this word chaos, which means a state of confusion and disorder. That seems apropos to describing what we're facing. We're in the middle of the the largest global pandemic in 100 years. Uh, 900,000 people have died from COVID worldwide, 190,000 and growing in the United States alone. And there's really no end in sight. There's an economic downturn. A lot of people are out of work or furloughed. Kids are not in school. We've had long uh, and much needed conversations, long overdue and much needed conversations about racial injustice that have been hijacked by violence and hatred. Our city streets in Portland have been filled with with two sides. Sometimes they're armed with weapons and they're literally fighting in our streets. It's disorienting. It's troubling to see hurricanes are pounding our coast. And then when we didn't think it could get worse, here come the wildfires. And I'm glad we had an opportunity earlier to pray as a church over the wildfires. We filmed this a little early, so I'm not sure in real time when you're watching this where we'll be, but but my family just evacuated our home, and I know we're not alone. There's lots of folks that are facing that possibility or that 
have evacuated and it's disorienting, it's destabilizing, it's chaotic. I'm feeling it right now in my heart as I talk to you and our, our prayers go out to everyone who is wrestling with those decisions and certainly our prayers continue to go out uh, for the men and women who are fighting the fires, uh, that God will give them wisdom and, and courage. It is chaotic. And then on top of everything else, we have the murder hornets, of course, which are like horrible. I think a picture is going to come up on the screen. I don't want to ever see one of those things. It's like someone dropped us all in the middle of an apocalyptic movie and we're, we're living that out. It's chaotic. But there is hope. We follow Jesus and Jesus is the risen king. He's on the throne. Sometimes we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's a that's a prayer we could pray. That's a prayer we could ask. But he promises to make all things right. I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes, a conversation between uh, Frodo and Gandalf uh, from Lord of the Rings. And it goes like this. Uh, Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Uh, so do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So here we are. None of us wanted to choose these myriad of things that make the world feel chaotic and make our hearts feel chaotic. But here we are. And followers of Jesus, what are we going to do in this time? How are we going to live through it? This series is about giving us tools and resources and practices to help us not only survive this time, but to possibly even thrive as we come forth through it, more healthy, more wholehearted. Uh, our hope is to follow the way of Jesus. The earliest followers of Jesus were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. Jesus, their Lord, their King, put forth to them a way of life, a way of doing things. And if you read history, followers of Jesus have faced really, really difficult times. Read about the first century sometime. And they came through living fruitfully and living wholeheartedly. And so there's hope in that. And so we're going to go back and pull out some of the, these practices from the way of Jesus. How did Jesus live? How did his followers live that have, have, has led to, to wholehearted living? So some of those practices are simplicity and beauty and gentleness and empathy and being angry well and peacemaking. We're going to talk about all of these practices in this, in this series. We're going to have a conversation with author, blogger, podcaster, Sky Jathani about following Jesus in the midst of a political season that is is very divisive as well. The Greek, uh, or the word chaos comes from the Greek word, which means empty and void. Kind of like my heart feels a little bit in this season, uh, maybe I'm not that, I'm not alone in that. And what do we do when we feel empty and void? What practice of Jesus can we see to restore our hearts to work the way they were created to work? It's called unplugging. Uh, at least that's what we're calling it. It's 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 powering down so that we can power up again and operate the way that we're supposed to operate. Most things work better when you unplug them, even you, even me, even Jesus. So Alex and Kate Miller are going to read our scripture passages today. Oh. Oh, it's okay. Can do you want to do? You, how do you? How can we? Your first slide or your last slide was murder hornets, but um, but I think you got pretty far from there. So is there something else? Murder hornets are. I mean, I can go back to. We don't have a graphic slide for the series yet. How about? We do. We do. But it's. But it's. How about? 
How about I come come back off the sky jahani thing? I talk about the Greek word for chaos, and then I go right into it because I don't I don't talk a lot other than that. Yeah, cool. And then a that, quick note: Is there uh, was somebody's phone on? The, yeah, it's sort of with the particles over there. Actually, I don't I don't think it was over here. Okay. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I I don't have messages on. On uh, my computer, it, it might have been a computer. Like it, usually, the computer makes that noise, right? The bird chirp. Yeah, this one's off. So just Alex is reading. Is that what you said? Uh, just Alex. Just Alex. Yes. We good? Okay. If we look at the etymology of uh, the word chaos, it comes from a Greek word that means empty and void, kind of like my heart's feeling, maybe kind of like your heart is feeling. What do we do? What's the practice when we're facing uh, a life and a heart that's not operating correctly, where we feel that spinning wheel of death internally? We unplug. Most things work better when they unplug. Uh, even you, even me, and even... Jesus. Alex Miller is going to read our scripture passage today from Mark 1, 35 through 38. Take it away, Alex. This scene is from Mark's gospel or eyewitness accounts. There's four of them. And this is very, very early on. Mark 1, obviously. Jesus has just launched his ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's spent time being tested in the wilderness. And then he started his ministry by calling his first four disciples, the two pairs of fishermen brothers, Peter and Andrew, or, or Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James and John. So he's called them. He hasn't even collected all of his disciples yet. They're operating out of kind of their base camp, which is a little village on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is starting to do his thing. Jesus is starting to teach with power and authority. Jesus is starting to heal everyone. And you can imagine if someone was doing that in our day and age, people would begin to flock to see Jesus. Rumors would spread. Is he the one? And crowds begin to gather. And that's the scene that we encounter here in Mark's gospel. So picture it with me. Uh, Here is the night before uh, the passage that, that Alex read. This is what Mark says. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick, all the sick, and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. The whole town's at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he also drove out many demons. The whole town, many, many crowds, people, and it's just growing from around the countryside. People are passing word, and they're coming, and they're packing their bags, and they want to see this man, Jesus. They want to hear him teach, and they want to be healed. It was an incredible day of ministry or an evening of ministry. Jesus is tapped out. Jesus is exhausted. He was fully God, but he was also fully human, and he had limits. Jesus needed to unplug. He couldn't just keep going. It was a very chaotic scene. So this is how I picture it in my mind. They're probably sleeping on the floor in Simon Peter's home, his parents' home. There's lots of them. Everybody's on a couch, sleeping bags, whatever. You can picture the scene. Jesus sets his alarm for very early. Mark tells us it's still dark. 
because he knows to unplug, he has to get away. He has to remove himself from all the noise and all the chaos. So Jesus gets up and he puts on his clothes and he's very, very quiet. He's stepping around. He doesn't want to wake anyone up. And then Mark tells us he makes his way out the door, outside the town, into the wilderness, uninhabited space. Jesus needs that uninterrupted space to connect with his father. And then uh, Peter wakes up. Peter thinks he's going to be the first one up. Peter's the type A. He's kind of in charge. He has grand plans for what's happening. He's super excited at the crowds and what this movement could become. And then lo and behold, Peter looks around and he's aghast because Jesus is gone. And he begins shoving the other disciples. Wake up, wake up. Where is Jesus? His business plan revolves around Jesus. It's centralized on Jesus. They can't teach that way. They can't heal that way. And so they begin to look. In the text, we're told that they looked for him. That's what the NIV says. That's, it's much stronger than that in the Greek. It could be interpreted they hunted him down. They started a manhunt for him. Maybe uh, you moms or dads, you feel that way when you've been uh, at home quarantined and your kids are hunting you down. You literally can't shake them. They're there at every point looking for you. That's what it is. They're after him. Everyone's after him. And then the crowds start to gather. Lights breaking in the sky, more and more people, a line's forming to be healed, people that are lame, people that are blind, the demon-possessed, the lepers, they're standing off by their, everybody's waiting. And, and then as the sun rises, a chant begins, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the scene. It's chaotic. And finally they find him. And Jesus, this is so great, he walks into the scene, he surveys the crowd, he surveys the lines of people waiting to be healed, and he turns to the disciples. What did Alex read? What does he say? And he says, uh, let's go someplace else. <laughs> That's what Jesus says. Jesus bails on all the people waiting to be healed, all the people waiting to be healed. He's like, it's the old Southwest commercials, if you remember. You want to get out of here? You want to get away? Jesus wanted to get away. Jesus straight up left. Simon Peter had to be like, what is going on? This doesn't correspond to the business plan at all. All these people are waiting for you. We hunted you down. Jesus is like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Jesus knew that most things work best after you unplug them. It's not just this scene. You see this throughout the Gospels. Here's just some examples from Mark's Gospel of Jesus choosing to unplug. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went by themselves to a boat to a solitary place. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Another example, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. I, I define unplugging as the practice of taking a break to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. Taking a break to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. There's five or six examples just from Mark's gospel of Jesus choosing regularly to do that. It wasn't a one-time deal. It was a rhythm. It was a power, a pattern of life. Jesus choosing to power down so he could power up again and operate the way he was supposed to be operated. Jesus had limitations. Jesus was fully God. He was also fully human. Unplugging uh, 
is not optional. Unplugging is necessary because most most things work better when when we unplug. Uh, even me, even you. Uh, so why is unplugging? Why is this practice of unplugging so necessary to the way of Jesus? So necessary to weaving into our lives, those of us who follow him, so we can emerge from a chaotic season wholehearted and well. Uh, a couple reasons. Unplugging allows us to give God our full attention. We live in an uh, unprecedented age of distraction. I'm almost 50. And when I was growing up, we had rotary phones, believe it or not. We had the, like the little dial phone you always hated when somebody had a zero in their number and all that kind of stuff. We, we, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't even have dumb mobile phones. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have email. We had none of that stuff. If we wanted to talk to somebody, we had to like write them a letter or call them on the phone or go see them. When we went to work, People went to work and they came home and nobody could contact them and they stopped working. Distractions were minimal. Now I'll sit down in my home office uh, and I'm working and I'll, I'll sit down on a typical day and I'm, let's say I'm working on, on the sermon and then I, I, I notice I get an email. I see a notification. I go and check and it's somebody from the previous week that didn't like that sermon. So I'm like, ah, I'll talk to them. So I, I, I respond to them via email and then I hear feel a buzz in my pocket. And I'm, oh, all right, somebody's, somebody wants to contact me. And it's a pastor friend in town that's struggling. Hey, do I have a few moments of talks? So I call a pastor friend, talk, finally kind of get back to the sermon. And then I see a bunch of Facebook notifications. I'm like, huh, what's going on there? And somebody really, a lot of people really like the picture of my dog Elvis with a tie on. And then I noticed people wanted to argue with my post about 80s music, how 80s music's not great. And they're insane because 80s music is awesome. And so I argue a little bit there. And then I, okay, I gotta, I gotta write this sermon. And then I see a news reporter notification that the Dallas Cowboys just signed a new player, a free agent. I'm super excited, so I got to go read about that player to see who that. And then off to the side, I see an ad from REI on the very thing I was looking for the night before. Imagine that. And I got to check out that deal because it's backpacking gear. And then the dogs start barking outside because the, the UPS guy is delivering a package. And then my girls come to the office and wonder if I can play with them. And it's only 9 a.m. That's the typical day. Now, maybe that's just my world and not your world, but it's a totally different world. It's a world that's prone to not paying attention. It's a world prone to distraction. We're wired this way as humans. Uh, cognitive psychologists call it an orienting response. You see it in animals. You see it in humans. It's the, oh, look, bird. When we see movement, our eyes want to go there naturally. And people that create marketing schemes and create television and create things that they know this they understand this uh, a, a, a new thing typically appears on our tv screens every second every second uh, americans consume something like 10 hours of media a day over a hundred thousand words a day 34 gigabytes that would crash a laptop in a week it's literally rewiring our brains literally they can see it happening ADD used to be something that only a few people struggled with, and some people still struggle with severe ADD, but now most of us, because of all these distractions, are starting to struggle with paying attention for long periods of time, going for long periods of time without getting that fix, because distractions get addicting. 
When we get the distractions, the, the buzz of the phone or the Facebook like or whatever it is, we get a little dopamine hit. That's exactly what's happening in our brains. It's pleasure. And it can become just as addicting as a drug. Jesus, he didn't deal with that level of distraction, but he knew all this. He did have a lot of distraction. People hunting him down, crowds waiting and pressing in, the whole town at his door. He understood this and he knew to be a healthy person, he needed to unplug. He needed to regularly practice taking a break to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. The other night, uh, the power went off. Many of you may have experienced something like that, or you had friends or family that did. It was disorienting for me. I'm literally working. I've got the TV on, watching some basketball. I've got my laptop out, working on some things, and I've got my phone right here. I had three devices going. I had a whole plan of all the things I was going to accomplish that evening after the girls went down. And I sit down, take a deep breath, and everything's out. It's pitch black. And I was like, okay, it's going to come back in just a minute. And it didn't. We lost power for like eight or nine hours. So I literally sat in the dark for a little while just waiting. And then I was angry. I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get my dopamine hits and my fixes? Like now there's no distractions. This is ridiculous. How could this happen? Why aren't they fixing it? And I processed through all that. And then I realized that I was in the midst of writing a sermon on unplugging, which is just ironic and the value of unplugging. So I sat there and I took a couple deep breaths and I prayed and I went up and checked on our daughter Jubilee and she was struggling to go to bed. So I sang her some songs and prayed for her. I came back down and I read some scripture. I took a hot shower and I read a good book and I went to bed and it was, it was amazing. And I'm thinking like, why do I, and maybe you're not like this, but why do I need the power to actually go off to unplug? Why can't I choose to unplug as a habit? Because I care for my heart, because I want to follow the way of Jesus, because I want to emerge from chaos wholehearted and well and healthy and vibrant. Why can't I do that? So it's a challenge. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to you. Could we, could we start making some decisions on putting our phones away and turning off our notifications and turning off our noises and removing ourselves from screens for a while? Can we have the discipline to do that, to create space uninterrupted space to, to be in the presence of God. My spiritual director loves to ask the question, are we living uh, contemplatively or compulsively? Contemplatively or compulsively? When we're living compulsively, we're living distracted or shallow, reactionary lives, which are wearisome. They're, they're, they're a burden to us. They make us tired. But contemplative living is the exact opposite. It's proactive and focused and deep and restful. Are we living contemplatively? Kind of the, the, the slow and steady and the deep connection with the Lord. Are we living compulsively? Look, bird! And everywhere we look, we're distracted. Most things work better after you unplug them. Even you, even me, even Jesus. And Jesus modeled this for us in our passage and many other places where he removed himself from distraction to be in the uninterrupted presence of God so he could pay full attention to what God says. So that's one of the reasons why unplugging is a necessary practice. Secondly, unplugging uh, puts us in our place. It puts us in our place. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was up uh, watching, I, 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 it was probably 11.30, I was watching a, a, a news channel and I was doing some stretching, just kind of taking it in after a long day. 
And they, they were reporting on one of the, the conventions, I can't remember uh, which, and then they went immediately to an update on COVID and some of the surges and the rising deaths in, in areas of the country. And then they went immediately to footage of, of a young man who had a gun, who had killed a couple people in Kenosha and the buildings on fire there. And then they said, hey, we, but we have breaking news, uh, level four hurricanes about to hit Texas. And I was just kind of like, whoa, like I couldn't, it was overwhelming to me to, to be aware of all those things happening and so many more. And then I tried to go to bed and I, I slept, it, it, was, it was a restless night's sleep. We, we, we were not able to bear the burdens of everything that we know about the world. We just simply can't do it. We're not created by God uh, to do it. And yet, because of technology and globalism and travel and all those things, we're suddenly aware of those things. There's a, uh, there's a guy named Robin Dunbar. He's an anthropologist. And there's this thing he created called Dunbar's Number. And he studied brain capacity. And he argued, I think persuasively, that our brain capacity only allows us to be in stable, healthy relationships with 150 people, which may seem like a lot to you. He would describe a stable, healthy relationship as bumping into somebody on the street and you could immediately go in a restaurant and have a meal and it would be natural and fun and enjoyable and not stressful. That level of relationship. Well, now the average person knows it's estimated 600 people. That may be at the low end. Some of you, it's less. Some of you, it's a lot more. I've lived my life on the East Coast, uh, the middle of the country, and now out here. I've, I've worked for some large organizations, so I've, I've gotten to know a lot of people. I checked before this message, and I have 3,300 Facebook friends. <laughs> and I can't possibly care for all those people, whether it's 150 and, and Robin's right or it's a little bit more. And yet, if I just look on my news feed, I'm suddenly aware of all the things they're bearing all the challenges. Somebody might have lost a child. Somebody's marriage is coming apart. Someone's sick. Someone on and on and on. And you see joys too and positive things too. But I'm aware of all these things because of the 24-7 news cycle. I used to have to read a newspaper to figure out what's going on and it wasn't even up to speed. Now I'm getting notifications in my pocket about things happening all over the world. And the combination of those two things are just, they're too much for us to handle. Unplugging the practice of taking a break to be in the uninterrupted presence of God removes us from that and it puts us in our place. Here's how most of us, myself included, I think have a God complex. I'm not saying that you think you're the creator of the universe and you want people to worship you. That would be really weird. I think we have a God complex and that we think that we can bear more and fix more than we actually can. And I think that we're actually really, really limited. And coming into the uninterrupted presence of God reminds us of the simple truth that he's God and we're not. There's that Psalm, be still and know that I am God. When we, when we practice unplugging, we're suddenly aware that we're not God. We don't have to bear all this. We can't bear all this and that he is God. Jesus faced these exact same things in his life. Yes, he was fully God. He was also fully human. And when he became fully human, he accepted limitations of time and space and energy. He simply couldn't heal everyone. He simply couldn't teach everyone. He couldn't be everywhere at the same time. So he had to choose wisely. Isn't it interesting 
that we see in Mark's gospel, the very end of the passage that Alex read. Once Jesus unplugged, once he practiced that, he emerged from that with clarity on how to use his, his limited time and energy for the kingdom of God. Instead of the chaos taking control of him, instead of being at the whim of the crowd, he was tethered to the whim and the will of his father. And it, it's, it's a provocative way to live. I think it's the way we're supposed to live. If I, if I accepted every speaking engagement, every wedding, every funeral, everybody that wanted pastoral counseling, I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be human. I wouldn't be healthy at all. My, I wouldn't have a marriage. My kids would disown me. It's not possible. So when we're practicing unplugging and we're regularly taking a break to be in the unearned presence of God, we begin to get clarity from God on what to say yes to strategically and proactively so we can say no to the right things as well. Uh, unplugging helps us understand what we can control and what we, we cannot control. Most things work better when you unplug them. Even you, even me, even Jesus. Finally, why is unplugging necessary? Unplugging provides us and gives us a rest. This is going to be a central passage that I'll read here to you. Uh, and maybe you could memorize it. Maybe you could entrench it in your heart. I would advocate that you do that because I think it's, it's one of those anchor passages for me that I return to again and again and again in my prayer and my thought life. And we'll talk about it often as we go through these different practices in this series. So let me just read it to you. And I hope it's a balm to you that you hear it as the Lord speaking it to you. And I think in this season with all the different challenges, all the chaos we're feeling right now, that this encourages your heart. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And here it is again. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For many years, I took high school students backpacking in Colorado. I was a youth pastor and that was one of our, our yearly trips. And we would always have some mouthy teenagers on the trip, typically dudes. They would just be talking and talking smack and thinking they were all that. So one of my go-to moves for those, those guys is we'd be on some hard climbs, several thousand foot climbs, and you got like 30 pounds on your back and it's tough work. And I'd get right behind these mouthy dudes and I would slowly, when they're not looking, put rocks in their bag. So I would just add, add to their weight. So by the end, for some of them, they had an extra 10 or 15 pounds and they would be so angry when they would get back to camp and they'd be unpacking, they're just pulling rocks out that they carried up a mountain. It's probably not a nice thing to do, but I, I thought it was funny. Jesus does the exact opposite with us. I think all of us carry these backpacks around in life and, and wounds and burdens we're carrying for other people and burdens that we're aware of in the world. And we get this kind of compassion fatigue almost that, that, that we, we, we know so much about everything, we don't care about anything. And Jesus kind of comes in and centers us and reminds us who we are. We get clarity on how to use our limited gifts, what we can control and what we can't control, and begins to take burdens out of our backpack. That's, that's what he does. 
and he lightens our load and he provides us with rest in a chaotic world. That's why it's so important to unplug on a regular basis. So important to practice taking a break to be in the uninterrupted presence of God. Remember who we are to power down so we can power up and operate the way we're supposed to operate. This is really just kind of a fancy way of talking about the biblical principle of Sabbath. And we see Sabbath right at the get-go in Genesis where God worked for six days and then he rested a whole day. If God rested, we need to rest. We were created in his image. My friend AJ likes to say, of the Ten Commandments and honoring the Sabbath is one of them, taking a day off. AJ would say, uh, pastors, that's the one command out of the 10 we can regularly break without getting fired. And even we get raises for breaking it, which is very convicting. Uh, I would say, yes, if you don't practice a Sabbath, taking one day off, it's biblical. It's not an option. We're meant to do it. So please like do that. But I would also argue that we should be taking micro Sabbaths. It's interesting, going back to the passage in Mark, when we understand the chronology, Jesus had just been coming off a Sabbath, a full Sabbath day of arrest, and then he had that busy night, and then he gets up the next morning and he unplugs again. He needed what I call micro Sabbaths. And I would advocate that for me and for you, that we can't just wait till, till Sunday or whenever it is you take your Sabbath. We've got to have little Sabbaths in the course of a day. We need to take little teeny breaks. And there's so many studies, profound studies that show us that taking little breaks restore us physically and emotionally and spiritually. A 30 second break increases your productivity up to 13%. And this was astounding to me. A 15 second break from staring at the screen every 10 minutes. So every 10 minutes you're staring at the screen, you take a 15 second break of just kind of doing this and looking around. It reduces fatigue by 50 percent. It's amazing. We're wired, we're created to take breaks, and we need to have these micro Sabbaths. We need to unplug regularly throughout the day, literally from devices and all that, but we need to remove ourselves and practice getting in the presence, the uninterrupted presence of God, and just being there. So I want to uh, walk you through a little prayer. We prayed earlier, which is awesome. We need to pray a lot and especially with all that we're facing. So I wanna walk you through a little prayer that we hope will be an anchor prayer. We'll return to it again and again and again uh, throughout this, the series. So um, you don't have to do this now, but I'm setting you up for how I'd like you to do it this week. I wanna challenge you to do it at least once a day. If you're ambitious, try it twice, but at least once a day. So find a quiet space uh, where you'll hopefully be uninterrupted for five minutes. And some of you are like, have you seen my house? And I get it. Maybe it's the bathroom, maybe it's somewhere else, but you can do it. Five minutes where you know you'll be uninterrupted. Uh, turn off your notifications, turn off your sounds. Actually, leave your phone somewhere else. Leave the devices uninterrupted. Just you, just quiet. And then posture as we pray is really important. We're embodied creatures, so we need to pray with our full bodies. So right now, put down your devices. Some of you are doing dishes or eating or working. On, I know, it's okay, no shame. Put all that down right now as you're watching this, and I want you to do this with me. All right, let's, let's practice this. So it's an embodied prayer, so I want you to take your hands like this, and this is a posture of just openness. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm not distracted, God. I'm totally here. This is a posture I'm ready to receive. I'm not holding on to anything. I'm ready to receive and I'm letting go. And, 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 and we're praying with our full body. So go ahead and do this. Some of you aren't doing it. Come on, kids, make, them, make your parents do it like this. Just, and then here's 
as you're doing this, I want to, I love the prequel that uh, our friends at Lectio 365 use. And they say this, as I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. Isn't that great? So let me read that. <clears throat> and then I want you to do it. You can even close your eyes as I'm reading this and practice this right now and do the breath when I say, and then I'm going to read the prayer. It's a very, very simple prayer. And then I'll read it through and uh, it'll, it'll come up on your screen. So if, if you want to have your eyes open and pray it with me, or you can just listen, I'll pray it over us. All right. So here we go. Let's go. Hands out. You can do this. As I enter prayer now, <clears throat> I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. Now let's pray this, this simple prayer that we'll be praying throughout this series. Loving and faithful God, I entrust everything and everyone to you. Bring order to my chaos, calm my stormy heart, and transform my fear into faith that I may enter your rest. Amen. See, we can do that once a day if you're ambitious twice a day. And here's the cool thing. We talked about our app that we're launching. It's, it's so great. Our team did a fabulous job on it. If you sign up for the app, then you can go access uh, the, the sermon notes. You can watch the sermon, listen to it, and the prayer will be there. And then if you sign up for push notifications on our app, we're going to push out this prayer every Monday, just as we start our weeks. Every Monday is a reminder to pause and uh, to take a break. We can do this. Most things work better when you unplug them. Even you, and even me, and even Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thanks uh, for this reminder in what, um, yeah, I just want to acknowledge right now, God, what feels so chaotic. It felt really chaotic when I wrote this message about a week ago. It's even more so now, God. There's just so much going on, especially in our city and God, we just pray for your favor, for your protection, for your love, for your presence with us. We know you're here. You don't leave us or forsake us. We know you're for us. We know that one day you're going to make all things right. We know that you're the risen king on the throne. We claim those things, God. And we so desperately need, I so desperately need with my empty heart to be regularly unplugging, to taking a break, to be in your uninterrupted presence so that you can have my full attention so that I can be put in my place, so I can remember that I'm not God, you're God, and I can release that to you and let go so that you can give me what you want to give me, and that's rest for my soul. May it be so, God. We, we ask for that. We so desperately need that, God. Revolutionize and change our hearts, change our community as we travel through this series and learn once again what it is to follow your son, Jesus. Uh, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.